0: i punched the wrong button because that said rounding the news, but this is uh, rounding the earth and I'm your host, Matthew Crawford. And uh, today we've got a a guest on um, and and good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are, Um, actually before we get started, (laughs) I'm going to say I'm slightly sweaty because uh, um, I came into my office and my office was the closed room, it's the only warm room in the house because it just got cold here in Texas and the fire alarm was chirping. Because the battery was gone, this was like five minutes before we got started here. So I had to climb up and uh, and and it wouldn't open. So I spent five minutes struggling with it, and it was um, it, it was quite a struggle. It was existential, um, but I had to had to break the case because pushing the tab didn't work. The instructions weren't quite so simple, I guess. But uh, but I, I broke it open, and there's a battery in there now. Uh, but there's no case to it. But at least it's not chirping at us, so we can we can move on with the conversation. I'm going to bring in uh, Grant Smith here, and Grant is uh, uh, it, it is Doctor Grant Smith. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Technically, you know, it's uh, it's a clinical degree. You know, I'm a physical therapist. Okay, at the U.S. Army. Uh, yes. So uh, tell tell us about your uh, your career. How how long have you been there? So I've been in the Army for 12 years. So I'll say, you know, since I'm still on active duty,
1: I'll say, uh, you know, nothing that I say here is reflecting a position of DOD or the Army uh, or my current unit. It's all just, you know, my thoughts and opinions. Um, But, yeah, I've been in the Army for 12 years. I was an infantryman uh, before and then saw kind of a lot of issues with, with the organization being a bureaucracy. Right. And everything that comes along with that and there being challenges with the mission set versus what actually happens on the ground. And really, you know, from my perspective, intractable challenges. But what I thought I could affect is we tend to do really stupid stuff for physical training. And I say stupid. I can defend that, you know, and and go into details. But I think most soldiers uh, that have been that have served over the course of the past 20 years. Would agree to that unless they're very good at running and really enjoy running, in which case, they probably think that it's great. Um, but for those soldiers that aren't great runners, this reliance on distance running uh, really breaks people off. And it's really bad for people's overall health and fitness. And I thought, ah, oh, you know what I'll be able to do? I'll, I'll become a physical therapist. And then I'll try and help change the culture to be more focused on resistance training, which has a better carryover to combat performance, which everybody kind of knows now. And that's what we're working towards. But then now there's even more challenges about, you know, other other things. But that was kind of my thought process and why I transitioned from being an infantryman to focusing on just the physical therapy piece, because I thought it was low hanging fruit. I thought, hey, we're doing this stuff that's stupid, everybody feels like it's stupid, maybe I can come in as a subject matter expert and help make things more effective and improve people's lives in a way that's pretty straightforward. You know, if you're bad at running and you have to wake up at 630 and go run five miles every morning, you know, that's if we could just not do that, you know, times a couple hundred thousand, then... I figured that that would make the world a better place.
0: So, that was my rationale. Well, I'm going to go ahead going to go ahead and mention this. Um and I don't know how I originally found your Substack. Um but uh this is this is uh Grant's Substack right here and there's an article that we're going to talk about today. Um uh, maybe his most recent article. I don't know if you've written one uh in the last couple of days but uh Sims paradox, but before that, uh you mentioned you mentioned something in the studio before we got started that reminded me how I think I found your Substack you talked about uh, uh, working out on an incline. Yeah, yeah, incline treadmill walking. Incline treadmill walking. Funny thing is, uh, I think this is the first article that I read in your Substack talked about this. And talked, uh, am am I recalling correctly? Is this- Yeah, absolutely, I wrote an article about it.
1: Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to share with people because uh, people that it works for that implement it, it can be an absolute game changer. Because a lot of people hate doing cardio. And if you can make it less onerous and integrate it into your daily routine, which incline treadmill walking is one of the easier things to do with that, for a variety of reasons that I cover in that article, then it can, you know, help you lose weight, keep it off, and just maintain a, a healthier lifestyle without all of the pain and discomfort that comes with running. Say if you're not like I was talking about earlier with with running, some people just aren't aren't built for it. And so for those people uh there was this culture especially in america with uh you know went from aerobics to into distance running and that that can work in the short term for some people it doesn't work in the long term they get injured and then they hurt and can't keep doing it but establish eating habits based on burning all those calories from
0: running then gain a bunch of weight and
1: it's hard, so yeah. So I, I started well. doing
0: that after you you posted that article.
1: Oh, really? And, oh, and cool.
0: for anybody out there, um, it, it's the best way to stay asleep through uh, an episode of House of Dragons, is you know put on the incline. Well, no, I, I funny, um, I actually I, I play kind of a game with it. Uh, I I start at um you know the the highest incline and the lowest setting, and every minute uh, I either uh, I, I I watch my heart rate and I either um goes uh, let's see, I either, uh, if my heart rate is too high and too high for me, uh, I, I decided to just set it 145. And you know, so if it's too high, I lower the treadmill. If it's not too high, I increase the speed. Yeah, it's perfect. And, and you know, it's, it, it, it sort of makes a little bit of a game out of it. But, um, uh, so that's something I, I started doing mostly because, <clears throat> um, I, you know, starting to run is always the the most difficult thing for me. Uh, I, I lift, I enjoy lifting weights better than I enjoy starting to run. And, and it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like a first day or first two weeks kind of thing for me. Um, where, you know, like once I've been doing it for a couple of weeks, it's like, okay, this isn't a big deal. Right. But like getting to the point where, uh, where, you know, 10 minutes in, I'm not, uh, I'd rather be doing something else. And, and that's, that's like the biggest thing in terms of exercise is if you're doing something that you enjoy, you continue to do it. Right. (laughs) So, But uh, I, you know, I I invited you on after seeing this article right here, Um, and I think, you know, there's a lot of things going on in the military right now. Of course, there's the struggle over the vaccine mandates, there, um, which, which is, you know, I I find very concerning because I I feel like there's um, a sorting mechanism, perhaps, uh, going on, and it's not one that I'm, I'm comfortable with. But um, this, I I feel like this is another piece of what could be going wrong in the US military, something that um, that you know people making decisions should be thinking about. Uh, you, you've you identified uh, what you're calling Sims paradox right here. And go ahead and explain that to the audience. Like, what is it that, that's going on in your singer? Should I play the video and then let you explain it? Or do you want to give us some background here? Uh, yeah, I'll give some background,
1: then you can play the video. So uh, where I'm at, we have a, a program that puts wellness as the number one priority. And it sounds really, really good. Uh, It sounds really like, why wouldn't you do that? You know, if everybody's healthy and fit and well, then you're going to be able to accomplish the mission. But what happens when you put wellness as the number one priority is the mission's no longer the number one priority. And a lot of the most committed people to the organization hate that because to them, the mission comes first. That's what gives them that spiritual uh, grounding, you know, cause that the spiritual domain of holistic health and fitness in the army, I say spiritual people automatically assume that talking about organized religion or something like that. To me, it just means purpose. You can boil it down to one word and that's purpose. What's your purpose? And a lot of the most committed people in an organization, and the Army's no different, they put the mission first in their minds. And that is their professional purpose is fulfilling that mission. And so in the Army, depending on what your job is, you know, if you're a tanker, that mission is probably being the best damn tanker that you can be. Uh, If it's me, it's being the best physical therapist. Right now, I'm a holistic health and fitness officer. So I'm trying to do my best at understanding the big picture and how all of these different domains of health and fitness uh, are interdependent and how to not get myopic and focus too much on on one as opposed to another. But that's the essence of the paradox is if you put wellness number one, then it, it paradoxically undermines the health and fitness and wellness of those most committed to the organization because now their number one priority for their spiritual wellness is being undermined because their spiritual wellness is dependent on putting the mission first.
0: I'd muted myself. Um, so I'm going to give an example here because it was the one that came to mind when I read this article. So, um, uh, my wife had just gone to run herself a bath. Uh, we we just got cold here in Texas, and 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 that's when 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 that starts to look soothing, right? So, it, let's suppose that you told someone one day, um, do whatever you need to do over the next two hours to be well. And and so maybe maybe they go run a, a bath, maybe they take a bubble bath, maybe they get relaxed. Um, uh, who knows what they do? But but let's say they're all relaxed after two hours, and then you tell them, okay, uh, the mission. From 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., uh, we're going to hike up this mountain and do X. And is that the best thing for them to have done before that mission? In other words, is wellness, is, is what a person decides to do as wellness, is that uh, context driven? And is, is that why the value may not match the mission? Yeah. And like, value is subjective,
1: which makes it really complex to talk about. Because what's optimal for wellness for every individual is different. But that's why I said that it's it undermines those people specifically most dedicated to the organization. That's why I had to be specific with saying that. Because, you know, for some people, maybe it is the best thing. You know, it is, like you said, it's context dependent. Because value is subjective. Uh, so it's difficult to conceptualize. But yeah, for every individual person, the best thing to do for quote unquote wellness is gonna be different on any given day, depending on that individual's preferences and desires and needs. So it's not a really good coordinating principle for a large complex organization because of that reason. And when when you put it out there as the number one organizing principle, everybody just gets confused and it's difficult to coordinate. Whereas the mission is objective. It's an objective standard that you can try to maximize wellness while you're fulfilling the mission. And that's a, a challenge that you can try and engage in. But at least everybody knows what that objective standard is that everybody's trying to be moving towards.
0: Well, let's watch the video here. Can, can, is that audible enough? Yeah, it's not really clear. I'll just, I'll, I'll give a
1: recap of it real quick because okay. basically, um, it's uh, whoever's in charge of uh, Border Patrol in front of some Border Patrol agents saying, Hey, you know, we got to get after our wellness, you know, our spiritual fitness, all this stuff. And they're essentially saying, What about the mission? We're not doing the mission because the Border Patrol's mission is really, really straightforward, securing the border, preventing illegal crossings at the border. And so, you know, they're just not having that because it's kind of like a consolation prize. Oh, well, don't, you know, we're not doing the mission necessarily the way that you guys think we should be doing it. But, hey, let's just focus on wellness. Um, and it, it doesn't work for those individuals that are actually there because they really care about the mission. Um, so in the Army, like I said, it's it's less straightforward because people have different jobs. And, you know, you can say war fighting, but exactly How is it to fulfill the national defense strategy and and be able to fight large scale combat operations on two fronts simultaneously as a support and defend the constitution of the United States? You know, that gets a little more complex. I like the border patrol example in that video in particular, because their mission is so straightforward and specific. And those people that are complaining in that video don't feel like they're doing their mission. And so they're not, they're not, interested in talking about wellness and the reason is is because it's it's a part of what makes them uh healthy and fit Is their spiritual fitness and feeling like what they go to do for a job every day matters and it's hard to feel like that if you feel like you have a specific job and a specific mission and that you're not doing it
0: so uh, who, who is that speaking right there
1: i don't know i'd have to look it up okay um, if you if you click up the video uh I think it, it pulls up whoever it is, um, but I, I don't remember if it says his name during the video.
0: Okay, and, and that person is is uh, lodging the complaint. No, the the person oh. who's
1: talking is he's in front of a bunch of border patrol agents, and he's he's essentially giving them a rah rah speech, like, hey, you know, there's some challenges, but we're going to get after it. And the border patrol agents are are not a, a couple of them have some pointed responses to it. And if you, I think if you click on the article that that's embedded into, it, it provides some direct quotes of some of the stuff that was says, because the audio is not exactly super easy to pick up on.
0: Okay, I'm gonna try to hear some of this say, again. Every day I wake up and I'm committed to this organization and I'm committed to each one of you You're getting bogged down. In the policies the politics. You say legal, What's happening?
1: We can't even say that's it why you has got left. You
0: just said it.
1: You can't say it. Is anything gonna happen to you? You, know, you just it. said it. Saying saying it. The whole generation. Whole the generation. generation. Where are you guys getting caught up in semantics? Right? There's a mission out there
0: to be there's a mission out there to be guys. We can sit here and argue about it until we're blue in the face. Right? I've been doing this job
1: as long as y'all. What's that? That's problem, for, for
0: evil to try is so for good men to do nothing. Now, I can't hear you. For evil to try is so for good men to do nothing. <laughs> That's exactly what's happening here. Good men are doing nothing. You're allowing them well, you, to the communities. You, you are doing are. something. No,
1: sir, so we're not. You, you are. No, you're no, so you're are. rescuing people every day. You're taking
0: pitfalls on streets every day. You're taking men that bed streets year, every day. Nice day. In the history of our country, in one year, in this country. You know, we've made... Four all seizures already this year. Uh, question: um, How much is fentanyl a problem in the U.S. military?
1: Oh, you're asking the wrong person.
0: I have no idea. Okay, I have no idea. I know
1: that there's the drug overdoses happen. I know suicides happen. I know both are a problem, but I have no idea as to the extent.
0: Well, it, it sounds like um it sounds like the the people who are guarding the border are frustrated. Uh, this this sounds like a multi-pronged problem right here. Um, like I heard somebody say, we can't say illegal alien. Um, so so there's an issue between... Uh, so is wellness here being defined as like in touch with some sort of a cultural element? Yeah. Is that part of what's at play here?
1: Yeah, for the entire... Uh... Department of Defense they call it people first it's the people first initiative you know which reminds me of safety first which I'd make all these same arguments about safety first like safety can't be first because if safety's first then you know what about the mission if we all wanted to be safe we could just stay inside and not ever go outside not ever expose ourselves to risk but to get things done you have to assume some level of risk so that's one of those tautologies or assumptions that's made, hey, safety first, it's not really. And that's the other thing that uh, one of the other points that I try and make in the article is that wellness and in, in people aren't really first. And so it'd be one thing if the organization was able to do that. But at the end of the day, it's a lie. It's not true because when there's a conflict between people and taking care of people, and a no-crap no, no crap mission requirement that comes down, the mission requirement's going to take precedent. So the big problem that we have, uh, from my perspective in, in the military, is operational tempo. We have a very high operational tempo because we have a national defense strategy that requires us to be ready to do more than we have the capacity to do. And there was a great study done by the heritage foundation they do an, an index of military strength annually and in the 2023 index uh they came to the conclusion that the overall strength of the u.s military was weak for this reason and the army specifically because of huge challenges in capacity like capacity is what the army has the biggest trouble with uh, and we can't recruit those numbers because of ongoing issues with recruiting and retention which i think are related to the same issue in a spiritual crisis where people in the military feel the same as these uh, border patrol agents feel a lot of the times that they're not doing uh, what what they believe their their job is when they when they come into work they're not spending the time on what they believe their primary purpose should be Um, And that compounded with what happened in Afghanistan, where we got out of Afghanistan under under those circumstances. Uh, When we went in, Taliban didn't control 100 percent of Afghanistan. Now they control 100 percent. And a lot of people lost a lot of friends. People lost limbs and people lost their lives fighting the Taliban. And now they have more control of that country than we did when we started. And we're not talking about it. You know we're not having a conversation trying to figure out hey how how do we get back aligned with the mission instead of confronting that issue head on we're talking about an abstruse wellness and putting people first and that's what i wanted to that's that's the point that i'm trying to make is that we we got to focus on the mission and getting aligned with that if we want to fix all these problems that seem like
0: they're not related, they're all related to the spiritual crisis in my view. So, okay. And and you write, uh, you write about spirituality a number of times. Um, So when you, when somebody joins the U S military, they know they're taking risks, right? Um, Just like anytime we climb up on the roof to, to get a job done, we know we're taking risks and, and, you know, we take those risks and, we're balancing it out, risk versus reward. Uh, but but you're saying that that because the the software uh, sort of the the spiritual software of the military isn't mission first, that that there's a disconnect. Um, well, so okay. that's
1: the thing. It always it always has been before. And so what I'm kind of trying to sound the alarm about is that changing that has a potential to be disastrous, you know, cause it, it was always mission first. Everybody in the military understood that this people first thing is it's a very new initiative. It came out in 2021, you know, so it's, it's a, it's a year old and it only looks to be accelerating where it's kind of caught on.
0: People think it seems like a really good idea. Okay. And- well, give me an example as to, as to how it is like, uh, what I'm, what I, I feel like I'm, what I'm seeing, uh, you know, reading, looking at the article that was uh, attached here, and and look, and listening to the video, I, I feel like what I'm seeing is a tension that that I, I don't even really understand what's behind it, right? Like, like there's something, there's um, there's politics here. So, you know, what do we know that the people in the crowd are frustrated about? Um, you know. You know, we're, we're trying to do the mission. We don't give up. Uh, you know, I guess Ortiz is the, the leader here. Um, there are people who are complaining. And, you know, somebody says we're not allowed to say illegal aliens. But I guess maybe that's something that's, like, out in the field. Or, you know, Ortiz says, you know, you could say it, You just said it. Um, so what? what is the... <clears throat> is there is there something that they feel like, I, I, I'm, I'm not understanding this, and I feel like maybe that, that there are mission specifics that then can't be understood stood well by the troops. Am I am I getting there? Yeah, I mean,
1: I think that that's, okay, so to, to take it to the Army specifically, because in, in the Border Patrol, that's a complex situation. I surmise that they're concerned that they're not doing a good job of keeping fentanyl out of the country, and they're there's not an organizational focus on preventing illegal uh entry into the country, which is their primary mission. I think that they feel like uh there are political reasons for that, you know. But I'm speculating just based on
0: that video. Okay, so they do not having friends in Border Patrol. This but- wellness first directive, this came down in 2021. People first, Yeah. people first. That was the directive. Okay. Um, so did this have anything to do with the vaccine mandates? Maybe it's It's hard to say. It's
1: really hard to say. I, I don't know. It came out at around the same time. It also came out at the same time as the extremism stand down where they said that the number one threat to the military was uh, domestic violent extremists. Uh, which I, I disagree with. I, I don't think there's any evidence to support that, um, and I think that that was probably politically motivated, where people were considered to be extremists for believing things outside the Overton window, which you know makes me an extremist because I believe a lot of things outside the Overton window.
0: In <laughs> the moment, the moment somebody uh, is declared an extremist, well, they're not one of the people who are first, perhaps.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's another delta that I've noticed where uh, I mean, I, I'm I personally uh, being unvaccinated, having a pending religious accommodation. Um, I haven't been treated poorly because I've had uh, good leaders around me that have you know treated me with dignity and respect. But I have uh, colleagues and fellow soldiers that were so stressed out uh, that they got ulcers and were puking blood uh, from, from the way that they were treated. And I've heard, you know, one of the, you know, senior officers that I've talked to about this, that got pushed out of the service, uh, said, you know, it's more like vaccinated people first, you know? So it's, there is an embedded hypocrisy where within putting, saying you're putting people first, like, first of all, they're not, you know, as soon as there's a conflict with the mission, there's an issue. But also, yeah, I think I think there is something to that where, you know, if you're one of the people that doesn't stray outside of these these bounds, you know, if you say anything that can be construed as, you know, extremist speech, if you uh, are unwilling to accept the the COVID jab, then, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, no, you're you're trash. But the thing is, is that that culture is. Old. That's that's been around before. That's not new. You know, the the idea where if somebody was getting out of the army, right? That the attitude is, oh, they're getting out, they can pound sand. You know, we're not going to spend time and resources taking care of them and developing them. Like th- that's old. That's been around. What's new is the outward focus and uh the, the assertion that hey this is the number one priority. And we're all about putting people first and not recognizing that there's a trade off there.
0: And people first sounds kind of vague, like wellness first, like this could be, um, this could be interpreted in a number of ways. And so if you have multiple people interpreting it in different ways, then, yeah. uh, then suddenly you have different, uh, you have you know, a group of people on the same mission who might not interpret it correctly. And so this, I, I can see why this would wind up with an argument. Uh, and, you know, again, I I don't quite understand what this argument is about. Uh, and, and maybe that's, you know, the early part of the video is, is a little bit difficult to hear though. They quoted the parts that we just listened to in this article. Um, so different people are going to interpret people first differently. Um, wow. I, 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 felt like, um, I felt like the military was in a, a strange place, um, since the beginning of the pandemic. But this is this seems like a, an even more concerning one. Um, it, it's almost like it's almost like people are waiting for uh, a stochastic or like a, just a random either pat on the head or uh, or whip to say no that that's not what it means. Um, right? Uh, like they can interpret it, but
1: hmm hmm I think you know I almost I, I kind of also feel like it's trying to provide some glue to hold the organization together uh, in in light of what happened in Afghanistan, for example, in the army context. So there's a, you know, I'm hesitant to speak in generalities about this. I'll just say my personal interpretation as a physical therapist. So what do I know? Right. I uh, actually have another stack where I talk on uh, more on, politics and, and religion and spirituality called uh, Radical American Mind. And I wrote an article on that on this 2023 Index of Military Strength and talk about the area of the Army's readiness that is rated at the highest that gives the Army an overall marginal rating is the subjective readiness. So when they say we have these things called brigade combat teams in the Army, you know, it's about 4,000 soldiers, uh, multi-purpose. You know, you have artillery, armor. Um, well, you, you have different types. I won't go into the details. but So if you're employed, that, you're employed as a brigade? Typically, yes. Yeah, typically. Uh, yeah, to, to generalize. But the point is, in this article, it said, you know, we have 31 brigades. Uh, or, sorry, 33 brigade combat teams out of 50 that we would need to meet the requirements of the national defense strategy. You know, okay, so we're, we're way short. And they said, hey, but you know what? Those 33 brigades, 26 or 27 of them are at the highest state of readiness, um, which is like, wow, okay, that's great. And so that's why the army is rated as marginal. But if you drill down and look into what that highest rate of readiness consists of, There are some subjective self self certified elements where, you know, if you're a, a commander, whatever echelon, you say, hey, we're, yeah, we're ready to go. Our unit's trained and we're ready to go. And there's some evidence that that's not the case. And there's an open question as to the extent to which. Uh, those brigades that say that they're at that highest level of readiness, C1 or C2, uh, whether they really are. And, you know, I'm personally very skeptical uh, of that as an assertion. And I think that I'm not alone. I think there's a lot of people that see this stuff. They feel like fundamental skills are atrophying, that we're not, we don't have the level of proficiency that we used to. And that is being combined with challenges and with budget, recruiting, retention. And everybody I think is starting to get the sense that we're not ready to do what they say that we're supposed to be able to do, which is fight in large scale combat operations. I think that people, you know, I, I personally don't feel like, um, like I, I get to do my job every day, but. People that are in combat arms that, you know, drive and shoot tanks or are infantrymen, you know, they they don't get to do as much training doing that stuff as they used to be able to do in the past. And that trend is just accelerated with all these additional requirements. And so I, I think that since people feel like that and have this concern that shifting to this abstruse wellness as a way of saying, hey, well, you know, we're still getting after stuff, you know, and and maybe we don't feel like we have the the exact skills to do the exact stuff because we don't have the resources to get that specific training done or the operational tempo doesn't allow us to enough time to reset and get to those those standards that we would like to get to. We can just be really healthy and fit, and then we'll be ready in case something happens because we'll be healthy and
0: fit. Here's a thought, I'm going to throw this out there. Um, if if wellness is in the eye of the beholder, people first means uh, you know you take care of you first. Now, I know that there is a shift toward um, increased acceptance, not even just increased acceptance, but increased acceptance of behaviors of trans individuals, um, as in uh, uh, where they can choose to shower. Do I understand that correctly? Yes, that's correct. Um, and, and so if you tell people, well, you know, you make you first, you're telling them, you know, whatever behaviors, um, might make other people uncomfortable, um, you know, it, it, if, you decide that that's, you know, in your best interest for your wellness, then it's okay. It, and so it seems like you're creating, um, necessarily an internal conflict amongst the people in the military.
1: Yeah, and I I try to talk about this kind of stuff, but it's it's very sensitive, as you can imagine. Um, you know, I I'm I'm very you know personality wise, I'm very high in openness, so it's it's easy for me to say, you know, hey, whatever, no big deal. I wouldn't I wouldn't care about that personally, but at the same time, not everybody in the military is like that. There are a lot of people that are very conservative that feel very uncomfortable. Uh, with the idea of uh, showering with somebody that has, you know, or, or, you know, the idea of female soldiers, biologically female soldiers, having a biological male soldier that changes their gender and deers and still has male genitalia uh, using
0: shared showers. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of that idea. Um, well, I, I to that, a lot of people and, and that feeling threatening to a lot of people. I mean, that's that's not even um, a, a matter of uh, openness necessarily. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. That seems like that seems like um, uh, taking down your guard.
1: Yeah, and and you would get accused of being a bigot or not treating that soldier with dignity and respect by even having that concern.
0: So and this is kind of like the conversation in that video, we can't say illegal aliens. Um, perhaps uh, there's a similar sort of conflict between people doing the same job, and so they're not mission oriented as a team. Okay. I, I can see why why this may be a daily problem. Now, I've I've heard that um, right now there is struggling, there's struggle in meeting recruitment goals. Um, where where is the military? Where's the army with that? Like uh, what you, you said that there are forty four brigades, but the goal is to have fifty. The plan. Oh, it's thirty three. It's thirty three brigade. Oh, I'm sorry, there are thirty three mm-hmm. brigades right now. Excuse me, uh, but but the the goal is to have fifty. So uh,
1: when you say the goals that have 50, that's not exactly accurate. So the national defense strategy is a document that gets published that says, you know, what all the branches of the armed forces should be able to do and, and the capabilities that are required to uh, execute that strategy. To execute that strategy, we would need 50, but there are no plans to, to have 50. Like there's just no way to do that. I mean, we're barely going to be able to, Maintain the thirty-three that we have with current levels of uh, funding, frankly, and more. More than that, um, yeah, the, there's a recruiting and retention crisis that's
0: worse than it's it's ever been since the inception of the all-volunteer force. What what percentage, like uh, how many people does the army try to recruit each year, and how far I don't know if you know these numbers or not, so I don't know if I'm asking I think, you. I know.
1: think it was like a fifteen percent shortfall or something like that. But it's easy to get confused between the thousands shortfall, and it's different in each branch of service. I think the army got hit the hardest. I think that there was a shortfall of several thousand soldiers.
0: But there was also, with. in addition to the fact that standards were lowered, is that correct? Yes.
1: Yeah. In in certain yeah in certain specific ways. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, so you've been deployed? Uh, um,
1: not, not, com- not in combat,
0: no. Okay. So I, I didn't know if you went with like one of these brigades when a brigade was deployed. Um, so you were not in Afghanistan? Is that no. correct? Okay. Um, then uh, I, I'll, I'll skip that question. <laughs> um, so I'm curious, you know, and, and maybe this is a little bit askew. Maybe it's not. I don't know. You said um, there's there's a, a shifting sense that the number one priority of the military, and I don't know how much this is a sense or how much it's doctrine. You know, you, you brought up this um, domestic extremists as being the number one threat to the country or the military. Uh, I think it was to
1: the military at the time. Um, you know, that was Secretary Austin published that guidance. There was training about it uh yeah
0: what, what is the training, training. um
1: just just talking about different organizations what constitutes a uh you know domestic violent extremist uh extremist organizations um yeah it's it's another one of those things that's very very vague and um you know i i have questions about whether or not that's intentional but i also uh you know, talking about racism being like a, a huge threat to the army specifically, I just, I, I just don't think that's accurate. I think the army is, is got to be the most, uh, or one of the most, if not the most diverse organization in the entire world. And the idea that you know we have a, a problem with with racism compared to other aspects of American society, let alone like the rest of the world, I think is, is a little ridiculous. Uh, you know, I'm of the opinion that racism doesn't survive contact with, with reality. You know, that
0: exposure uh, just, re, you know, I, I think it's, it's dependent. I think that's a good way to put it. I, I like that um, uh, racism or uh, uh, irrational bigotries don't survive exposure to reality. Um, on a broad level, um, they, they always seem to fall away in athletics in high school. Yeah, um, yeah. the same thing
1: you know. happens in basic combat training, and, or at and least, at least it used to, you know, with the drills that I, you know, I've worked with over the course of my career. Um, it's something that they were very skilled at nipping in the bud because it, it would happen in basic combat training where people would come in with those attitudes and their job was to get rid of that and make it clear that, hey, you know, we're all green, and we're all trash. You know that's that was a big part of what happened in basic combat training. Um, I don't know with the changes to to that if that's changing or there's issues with people coming in, but I know that that's how it was for a very long time. And um, you know th- that's just my my perspective. And I I think highlighting it as like the number one threat. Uh, I just. I don't know. I I don't I don't see it. And a lot of people that I've talked to feel the
0: same way during the pandemic. I have I have worried multiple times that we may be living or that we are, um, I think, almost certainly living in a fifth generation warfare environment um, where there are non-state actors, uh, perhaps even ideological groups, um, socioeconomic groups, uh, I think in particular, this uh, the split that's taken place between um, the cognitive elite in the US, which I could be said to be uh, a part of, uh, and, and uh, those who are at the bottom of the economic ladder who are competing against uh, really all the world's labor um, uh, because of the world getting smaller with transportation and distribution and all of that. Um, what, what I see is the people who are still mission-oriented are uh, those in the large corporations. Like, you know, when you describe, it, it, it took me a, uh, a little bit in this conversation to get to the point where I felt like I had a better sense of sort of the spiritual connection to the mission. Like, you know, what is it that you do for yourself in order to, you know, to be your position within whatever organization that you're in? Um, I, I do see that done well in the corporate world a lot of the time. And that, that seems concerning in an environment that feels like fifth generation warfare, because if there's any group that's most cohesive that could then be called a combatant, it might be the corporations. And when I hear that, that you're getting directives to think about uh, American extremists and in this sort of vague way you know like um i noticed that you didn't name any one organization or or even any one example uh and i don't know if there are any that come to mind like you know who is it that you're told i, I think i think oath- the keepers. extremists
1: i think oath keepers is one of them yeah. that that's been brought up which i mean their their mission is doesn't seem like an extremist mission i mean we all swore to an oath to support and defend the constitution i think that organization's whole like raison d'etre is supporting and defending the constitution even (laughs) once you're out of uniform or no longer in law enforcement or whatever so i think you know kind of weird right but you know they make arguments about it so you know i don't know but that that is one that i've seen
0: mentioned has there been like did they point to any one moment of violence right um i and i, I don't know a tremendous- they
1: point, yeah they point to january 6th okay you know which i i think is absurd i mean i saw stuff published um about january 6th saying you know hey you know these violent extremists you know killed these people and it's like no no i mean the only person that died on that day as a direct result of violence was ashley babbitt who was you know summarily executed right by the Capitol police lieutenant uh, what's the name? Michael Bird. Um, but the other death, like Officer Sicknick, he, you know, he died of a stroke. So um, I know initially it was reported that he was struck by a fire extinguisher or something, but that was not true, and that was still being reported. Hey, you know, these people died as a result of these violent extremists. So that that is an example where they do point to a specific event, but my knowledge of that event did not correspond to what was alleged to have happened in terms of specific mm. acts of violence that they mentioned specifically.
0: So when you talk to people who come back from, and and, and this, this may or may not be shifting the topic a little bit. I'm trying, yeah, this feels like a very subtle topic, right? Um, it is. Yeah. It's, all,
1: I, it's, been, it's been my whole world for the past couple of years, just trying to think about it and trying to sort it out because it's, it kind of mends, uh, bends your mind a little bit because there's a bi-directional relationship with spiritual readiness and all this stuff where it's like, yeah, we want to put wellness first, but then putting wellness first undermines wellness. Very confusing. Absolutely. And yeah. then when I, try and, when I try and talk about it, I get, I get, well, hey, wellness is important. I'm like, yeah, I know. It's my job I'm trying, to, trying to figure out how to actually advance it. But really what it comes down to is a bunch of small behavior changes, which is hard. You know, it's it's all habits. It's all small health behavior changes like the thing with the incline tread and walking. That's a behavior change that resulted in a probably a net improvement to your holistic health and fitness because he establishes a habit. And now you're able to get you know cardiovascular exercise any easier, which is good for you. Um, Some studies show that it improves cognitive function to be regular with that. So, you know, it's it's hard. And I think people in bureaucracies, they they think that things are easy that you can just direct stuff and say, "Hey, be well," and you, you can't coerce people to be healthy and fit. It's not how it works. They got to want it, and they you know because it's hard. It's work that they have to do on an individual level to establish habits. So,
0: yeah, it, but, it's, it's you're right. It's subtle. It, have you ever read the book Animal Farm? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I reread Animal Farm just recently, just a few weeks ago. Um, when I was uh, reading about how um, U.S. intelligence had the it, it had a cartoon created, you know, and and you know, this seems like a, it, it's it's a propaganda exercise. It's not real surprising to have learned that you know Western intelligence wanted to create you know turn Orwell's Animal Farm into a cartoon to show people because they cast you know it cast a negative light on what happened in the Soviet Union uh, the Bolshevik Revolution and all that um, and and they changed uh, they changed the final chapter of the story to to turn into uh, a positive ending where um, the animals who had been oppressed overthrew their leadership and it disturbed me to think through this and to think about you know um, know what that message was because orwell came back and he wrote 1984 later which sort of cast a negative light on totalitarianism in the west so i i thought okay what is totalitarianism and what i realized was totalitarianism is when it is that the leadership is showering information whether it's by bullying force or confusing people that but that that ultimately um, the animals are kept in a daze and, uh, uh, you know, th- those below leadership, <laughs> you know, uh, mafia leadership when it occurs that way, but um, mafia leadership with ties. Um, but it, it, uh, either either way, whether it was this uh, Eastern brand of totalitarianism or this Western brand of totalitarianism, uh, it depended on words. It depended on telling people words and then... You know, there's there's always a way to steer people. And if if people have a subjective view of wellness or people first or something like that, that gives a lot of leeway in the military being able to say, Well, no, that's not what we meant, or today it doesn't mean what it meant yesterday. At the end of Animal Farm, um, the entire the name of the farm is changed. So that's one thing. And and it was said, you know what, it, it was always this way. You know, it was always the case that people who Felt uh, constitutional government was good, or the terrorists. It was always this way, perhaps. Um, <clears throat> and then at the end, there's there's a fight that breaks out between uh, Napoleon, the the head pig, and the farmer, the gentleman farmer from you know next door, you know uh, gentleman farmer. You know I don't know. Uh, somebody cheated at poker, but you don't know who cheated. You're not told in the story. But the animals look around and they can't even tell the difference between the person and the pig. They don't know who's who, and they don't know who's cheated. They don't know why the fight's going on, and they never will. And and so there's this idea that that all this confusion being showered on everyone doesn't even allow people to be able to morally judge their leadership. Because they're they're too mired in their own confusion in the changing directives and the subjective directives um, to be able to, you know, look above them and have any kind of control over what's above in the chain of command. And, you know, like a chain of command is something that, you know, I, I, I could see why, you know, in, in, certain situations, why there's great respect for it. Right. It's an organization of, you know, competence and, and duty, right. Um, you have an organization, if it has a goal, then, uh, you have a hierarchy because there is competence experience, right. Um, ability to lead, um, but on the, but really and truly, the base is broader. So if there is incompetent leadership, there's a way to upset the apple cart, uh, hopefully constructively, um, right? Uh, but it, it is true that, that the hierarchy is not just one direction of power. It's two directions of power that meet and work together. But if you only have one direction, then that feels like, um, you know, maybe a defining line where you have totalitarianism. Um, and and, and I, I I personally, you know, I, I read your articles <clears throat> and I, I've been reading uh, articles of several people in the military, um, especially this year, especially after starting the, the defense health database project that I worked, um, which interestingly sort of fits in here insofar as um, my information, what I wanted to say about that project wasn't really allowed to be heard broadly and you know, it felt like there was a a directive coming down, and I don't know where it came from. I don't know who decided it. You know, does anybody know who came up with people first? I mean, I, me, I don't know. Yeah, it came I don't know. through the mouth of Lloyd Austin, but um, th- this seems concerning to me. Like th- it's it's an invisible leadership that can't be critiqued easily. And we don't even know, you know, a lot of times we can point to an administration and say, well, this started with this administration, but then does it change in the next? And very often the answer is no. It's like most of these policies wind up becoming uh, essentially permanent over time.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's like the, the administrative state, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, you. I don't know if you know Matthew Lohmeyer, you know, that Space Force uh, lieutenant colonel that got fired when he wrote the book, Irresistible Revolution.
0: Um, about okay, I've, I've, I've heard about this, but I, I don't really know his story.
1: I yeah. So, heard. I mean, he's very, very uh, squared away, you know, promoted below the zone twice to major and then lieutenant colonel, uh, one of the first Space Force uh, battalion commanders and wrote that book and was fired for writing a book. And even when he was in some
0: senior, uh, what were the contents of the book that were objectionable to his superiors?
1: It, I mean, it's, it's opposed to critical race theory
0: saying like, Hey, like
1: just describing the long march to the institutions and how critical race theory works and how it's not, not really aiming to take care of people as it is a cynical means of, uh, achieving social control. And, um, you know he, even before he wrote that book he was writing projects in one of the senior service schools where, where they called it book a day club and so they were reading you know a book every day and then writing on it and he wrote a paper that uh, drew off of jordan peterson and two of the advisors which were uh civilian uh mm-hmm. folks that worked in this program so, oh, Jordan Peterson, that guy's—he's a Nazi. He might as well have, like be quoting Hitler. That's like, okay, you know, like that's—that's that's, okay. That—that's your perspective. Well, I mean, those are a lot of the people that are occupying uh, senior positions that they don't change with administrations. They're unelected officials. They're there, um, and they have these opinions, and they will use those opinions to advance. Um, that ideology because they think it's for the best. And the, the example that I can think of in the army that's really specific and is uh, an equal opportunity. So we have equal opportunity program. And I wrote an article about this, where we have essentially what I view as a competing program to critical theory in the army, which is master resiliency training, which is based on positive psychology you know, positive psychology is good for you. It's good for performance. I think critical race theory and and having a victim mindset that's associated with that. I think it's toxic to performance, the exact opposite. And they encourage certain things like microaggressions, that entire concept of microaggressions is predicated upon making uncharitable assumptions about people's intentions, you know, and that's, it's bad for your health it's called uh using military or master resiliency training terminology you know derived from positive psychology we call it a thinking trap the specific one is mind reading you know you, you can't make uncharitable determinations about what's in somebody else's head it's going to negatively impact your performance and your ability to build connection with the people that work around you
0: people are going to stop and constantly doubt their actions, according to whether or not they think that someone else might think that they were thinking something that they weren't thinking.
1: Yeah, you can make you can make uncharitable interpretations about anybody at any time, and you know, for me, I never do that. I always I always make as charitable an assumption as I can until I'm, it's proven beyond any doubt that you know that's not the case because people like people are not out to get you for the most part. But I, I wanted to comment on what you were saying. About um, about Animal Farm and all the information coming down, because another thing that I'm trying to get at generally about wellness and, and promoting holistic health and fitness is that I think one of the most toxic things the to human performance is preference falsification. So I think that when there's an Overton window of stuff that you're allowed to believe, and you believe stuff outside that window, and You were encouraged by all of these incentives, you know, personal, professional, et cetera, to falsify your preferences and say, hey, no, I don't believe the stuff that I actually believe. I believe what's popular and that's going to benefit me socially. I think that that undermines everything about everything about the foundation of, quote unquote, wellness. Right. Because what it takes to get that get aligned spiritually. It takes knowing and understanding your preferences, right? That's the big challenge is like, what do I want in life? Why am I here? You're not going to be able to find the answers to those big questions. If you're constantly orienting yourself to pleasing people around you and denying what you think and feel, uh, it's a habit, just like anything else. If you get into the habit of denying what you think and feel and believe all of a sudden, you're not going to be able to even know what you think and feel and believe. And then you're never going to be able to achieve that, um, you know, to use religious terminology, that spiritual enlightenment to be aligned with uh, and have your actions be aligned with what you think and believe all the time. Because I think that's that's really what we want people to get to. And I think you, you said something um in a chat previously about spiritual profit and how that should be the thing that we target, uh, to get to the, you know, the Chris Langan's, uh, uh, human singularity. And I, I think that that's true. I think that's what everybody should be kind of trying to orient themselves towards. What do you want? What are you trying to get out of life? What are your values? And then once you know, then you can align your actions and you have the motivation to, to invest and work hard to do the things that you need to do uh, to be aligned with that. And that's what I think gives life meaning and and can be the foundation for, uh, you know, getting out of, like, I I think, frankly, all the craziness that we we see. But I think you're right. This stuff coming from the top down where it's, you know, it's very clear what's expected of you, uh, what you're expected to believe, And we don't really care if you believe it or not, as long as you just shut up uh, and you don't say anything that's outside the official narrative. I think it's absolutely toxic. And I think it's holding people down and and preventing them from achieving their full potential. And if you are leading a large organization and you want people people to fulfill their potential and have
0: it aligned with the organization's mission, I think that that makes the organization work. And so I, I'm going to mention this, you know, you brought up falsification preferences. Uh, and again, you know, I, I think that the, the corporate world actually looks more like a functioning military these days than the U.S. military in some ways. Um, but I think that preference falsification, you know, th- that has already had this filtration process um, for probably two full generations now uh, during this sort of, um, you know, sorting, That starts um you know primarily at the university level um and turns into assortative mating and and has turned into sort of you know two populations that are branching off from one another and don't understand each other particularly well or i I, actually i think that i think that the cognitive elite um oddly are the ones who don't understand everybody else um, but that it's sort of an asymmetric uh sort of thing um but uh, you know, you, you mentioned we're, we're in a chat. Grant and I are in a chat group with uh, with like six or eight other people, and and he he just brought something up, uh, which is the singularity. And so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a a one minute description of of what that conversation is about. Um, there are the futurists out there, uh, these technologists who sort of you know point toward this idealistic future of technology, just sort of you know lifting off, and 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 uh, how the the gains are always exponential. And you know the gains are exponential because when you invest a dollar, you, you you put that dollar out of your hands only because you expect to get a greater return out of it. Therefore, there is an interest rate with any investment that you make. Um, but you know there there might be interest to all of your decisions. You know if you get on the the incline treadmill today, um, as you advise, or or you know uh, you, you go out and plant the garden, right? Like all these things. That, they all have returns. Um, Will returns continue to be exponential? Well, Moore's Law seems to be breaking down uh, in in the semiconductor industry. I've I've talked with multiple friends recently about that. And I've I've thought about it a bit. And I thought, you know, the the futurists seem to be a very, very narcissistic bunch. Um, They they seem to have almost a religion that that revolves around the singularity. uh, And and they never step back to, to think through like the full economics of it what if the singularity has nothing to do with economic growth for most of the curve or, or, you know, may, maybe the curve is real, but maybe a lot of the gains that we will achieve will be from not looking for technology to do all of it for us. And this is part of why I like the fact that you wanted to, you know, approach this from um, a spiritual perspective, because if instead of investing ourselves in, you know, uh, you know the AI is coming, and and I hate the way I hear venture capitalists say that they go, "It's coming, it's coming." Well, you know, if you know it's coming, it's not really science because until it's demonstrated, it's not, it's not a repeated thing, and, and the science precedes the technology, and the technology itself has to be organized, and 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 I think that we're looking at that all wrong, um, or the futurists, uh, the singularity uh, uh, acolytes um, seem to be looking at this wrong, but but they can't you know they, they have a hard time unwinding themselves because they are doing they're trying to plant ideological directives in your your zone um which which is the part that it it frightens me to be honest but um i i, I wanted to lay that out because there's the um so that people would would understand but it, i guess it it starts you know ah. Gosh, I'm getting tongue-tied here because we're we're on these things that uh, they're they're easier written down first and then and then talked through. But there's not enough. Um, it, it's several things at once. But uh, but here it is. In economics, um, people use GDP because there is no way to measure utility. No one can measure Grant Smith's well-being uh, in any kind of a perfect way. We can measure how much your paycheck is. And so we, we use that as a substitute for utility. And you know what? It, it's, I, I can see why. It's maybe the closest thing. If you want to know about the well-being of the nation, you look at how much money people are making because it tells you how much resources they could purchase when they choose to spend it, you know, when, when they uh, interact with the market. So there's a degree to which it works. But perhaps the, the closer we get to the point where Moore's Law ends specifically... For technology, perhaps that is is the point at which uh, GDP and utility will diverge, and perhaps this is what you know people at the highest levels aren't seeing because they have followed a generation that's made so much profit investing in technology, but maybe those investments just aren't there, and they don't know how to rewire the directives for themselves, and so they're trying to rewire the directives for other people. Yeah hopefully I've said that well enough that some people can think about this. Maybe somebody will put it into words better than I just did, or maybe I'll write it better than I just said it. But, um, but that, that's, that's where, that's where this conversation brought me to thinking about in terms of economics. So, um, well,
1: yeah, to double down on that, you know, GDP being that, that principle that you're focusing on. I mean, you mentioned that corporations, are tending to function well, you know, it's because they have profit as a metric to target. You know, we don't, bureaucracies don't have a metric like that. And anytime you pick one, because of Goodhart's law, you know, you're shooting yourself in the foot because as soon as you pick it, it's a target and it's no longer a Yeah. You
0: get the tyranny of metrics and you should always probably change the target so that you, you know, don't uh, wind up with that asymptotic moving toward the wrong goal. Yeah. But, Corporations have profit,
1: but that gets into, um, you know, if you had sound money and if the ways to get profit didn't more and more depend upon government and, and getting government money, then that would be a relatively clean way of having utility. But since it's so much easier to get a good return on investment by lobbying Congress, by getting rules changed in your favor, or just getting government contracts, uh, as opposed to producing a product or service that people want at a price that they can afford, um, then it, it kind of breaks that model where all of a sudden chasing that profit can have negative spiritual consequences. And I think that's where, you know, people have seen this and they've attempted to address it. Like, I think, what's his name? Chris Mackey, the CEO of uh, Whole Foods, came up with the idea, like, conscious capitalism. Um, and free market folks would criticize that and be like, well, all you got to do is chase profits. Well, you know, in a purely free market, yeah, sure. But since everything is so entangled with government money and that coercion, you know, maybe shifting focus uh, of an organization or that each individual within an organization to pursuing spiritual profit, where monetary profit is just a part of that. Where it's like you have to make that monetary profit or you go out of business, but maximizing that profit in violation of other, other fundamental economic principles. So um, one of them would be time preference. Right. You have the problem where CEOs come in to to take over a company and they're not planning on growing the company and and passing it down to their children or something like that. They're trying to maximize profits quarter by quarter. And that might totally destroy the productivity and spiritual health of the individuals that occupy that organization. They don't care.
0: I have a worry about this. I have a worry about this. And I um, what you just said, conscious capitalism and effective altruism which is something I'm actually going to be talking about tonight in a video. I'm going to be talking about that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about how um, uh, Bitcoin may, may be able to solve this. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, sound money, um, and, and that's a topic that I'm, I'm, I'm always very interested in. Um, I, I do think sound money actually does. It, 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 what it does is it puts something like the, the idea of conscious capitalism or effective altruism in the hands of the individual. And I, I don't like hearing it out loud from a CEO because I feel like it's the same thing it's as talking about in the yeah, military. Just like Sam Bankman-Fried talking about effective altruism and what kind yeah, of, yeah. What, what he just got yeah, and, and we're we're going to be talking about him for a couple hours. In in a, we're doing kind of a special cast tonight. But uh, um, I, I it, it seems like just like the same type of thing as saying people first. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, you can. Exactly. Say, but ultimately, you're you're still pushing whatever pressures you want down the hierarchy and poisoning the hierarchy. And what's just happened to him? And I think he had. Uh, I think some of the people underneath him uh, were were you know good people or at least better than that. Um, in fact, a couple of them were students of mine years ago. Um, but but I think that uh, that that type of you know, saying well, you know, we're doing one thing, and on on the other, or we're saying one thing, but on the other hand, we're doing this other thing. Um, you know that that, uh, yeah, that's where things get really, really out of control. I think that is exactly what leads to totalitarianism, and I think that that the Sam Brinkman failure, or, uh, sorry, Sam Bankman Freed, I, I think is his name. I think that failure should be viewed as sort of a very quick local totalitarian failure at least from what i've read so far and maybe maybe i don't know the whole story maybe that's going to come out but um maybe we'll we'll wrap things up here and i'm, I'm going to go ahead and um, i'm going to advertise your um your sub stack here and i know you said you have two this is the one that i've that i have read um and i don't know where it shows where you have uh, multiple maybe it's at the about well anyhow um the h2f man uh, and I don't even know how I found this. I actually don't know. It was probably
1: from me, many many months ago.
0: <laughs> Perhaps so. I probably
1: emailed you or something. Uh,
0: probably, but uh, but yeah, I, I've been uh, reading this for a few months now, and and like I said, actually, um, uh, Grant has given me what has been at least for this year um, the new good uh, exercise principle in my own life, which is that uh, uh, I, I don't enjoy running at least when I I start out, and so I'm um, doing a a heavy incline, you know, something between a, you know, walk and a, and a running pace, um, you know, starting there is is actually has, has been a healthy thing for me. So anyhow, um, well, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having a, a difficult complex conversation. I feel like we're putting it into words. I feel like we, we, we connected this to a lot of different things and there's, there's a lot more to be put into words there, but I think that it is the case that we're seeing a lot of the need to put these things into words coming from the military right now at this moment uh, in our society. So um, that's an important thing. And, and, you know, we should all be paying attention. So thank you for joining us and sharing your time and uh, any, any, anything uh, for the audience before we wrap things up? No, just uh, appreciate your
1: time. Appreciate the conversation, Matthew. All right. Well, let's see
0: here. You know, I I'm, I I always forget to do this. I don't do this much. Liam usually does this before we go. I'm gonna do an advertisement for uh, one of our affiliates. We have, um, yeah, you know, just we, we choose affiliates from our own personal network. Uh, and uh, this is this is one that might be fun for the holiday season. A little wine for for those who might enjoy it.